0: Hey everybody, welcome to the Game Changer Lacrosse podcast. I'm your host, Joe Ivoli. The Game Changer Lacrosse podcast is about talking to people who have dedicated their life to the game of lacrosse and learning about who they are, how they got to where they are today, and what they do to improve themselves and their teams. Be sure to follow us on Twitter at GC Sports, and if you're a coach or a parent, Check out Game Changer Team Manager in the App Store. You can ditch the emails and spreadsheets. The free Game Changer Team Manager app streamlines communication, scheduling, and live scoring into one easy-to-use app. Game Changer Team Manager is 100% free for your entire team. Learn more at gc.com forward slash team manager or search for Game Changer Team Manager in the App Store. Today on the show, we have Sean Hartophilus. Sean's a graduate of Princeton University. He ranks third all-time at Princeton with 126 career goals, trailing only Jesse Hubbard and Chris Massey. Of his 126 goals, he scored 27 in nine NCAA tournament games, and he ranked seventh all-time in Division I and NCAA tournament goals in a career when he graduated. He was a three-time all Ivy League selection with first team honors as a sophomore and senior and was a two-time All-American. He also played professionally in the MLL with the LA Riptide. Sean and I played together at St. Anthony's High School. It was really great to catch up with him. We talked about a lot of different things like what drew him to lacrosse, how he practiced shooting, and learning not to follow. And we also got to talk about his movie he wrote and directed and starred in, Covadonga. I got a chance to watch the movie last year, and it was truly impressive. I really enjoyed it. We talked about it a little on today's episode, but everyone should go check it out at covadonga.film. That's C-O-V-A-D-O-N-G-A dot film. I think you'll really enjoy it, and I think you'll find this episode with Sean really inspiring. Here's my interview with Sean Hartophilus. Sean, welcome to the show thanks Joe it's a pleasure and an honor yeah I am uh, I'm excited to have you on this is the this is the podcast that's been 20 years in the making uh, since my freshman year at st Anthony's um, I know
1: but, uh, I know I feel like we probably have the the longest if not in certain ways, the closest history of any of your guests. Although you know, maybe you probably knew Bill Tierney before you met me, and some of the other coaches.
0: I I knew I knew Bill Tierney before I met you uh, a little bit, but uh, I mean, you know, I've never played lacrosse with Bill Tierney. We've not, I've never ridden on a bus with Bill Tierney. So uh, this is uh, oh, you're missing
1: out. You're missing out on the bus front. Definitely, <laughs> I know, we'll,
0: we'll get to it. We'll get to it in the in the conversation. But um, but yeah, man, let's. Uh, I'm happy to have you on, but. Um, you know, if, uh, usually I start with asking, um, how'd you get started playing lacrosse? But I, I want to put this up front, um, cause we are going to talk about your movie. Um, but I do want to say, uh, you know, I shot you an email when I saw it, uh, Kovidanga, I loved it, man. It was, it was really great. I, uh, I was really impressed.
1: Thank you so much. Yeah. I really appreciate your email, but I did want to ask, how did you, how did you see it at the time um that you watched it? Because that was obviously pre-release and I don't know that I'd, you know, shared my private screener um directly. Not trust me, I'm I'm thrilled that you that you watched it however you did, but how did you watch it?
0: I think I got a uh an Oscar probably from Mike. An Oscar pre screen? Um no, <laughs> I uh I uh I I don't know. I I I I could have sworn that you had tweeted about it. Or maybe sent out an email about it. Uh or maybe I saw it on your Instagram uh and there was a place where you can pay to to download it. And uh I was just Oh, you know,
1: was this like um we were in a Great Lakes film festival that allowed like, you know, online screening?
0: Yeah, I think so. Could that have been it? I think that that yeah, that might have been it. And I basically just uh this was a while ago, right? This was a while ago. This it feels like close to a year ago. Um Yeah, it must have been that. Yeah, but I mean, I I saw I saw pictures from it. I saw that you were starring in it. I knew that you had written, um, you know, a movie before Uh, and I want to check it out. And I mean, legitimately, not even because I know you, it was anybody who's listening. It is it is thoroughly enjoyable. Funny when it has to be. It was just like I really um, I really liked it. It was it was really great, really impressive. It's awesome, man. It means the world. So, am I to believe then that you haven't seen my first film, Beach Pillows? That I was hoping we'd kind of skip over that one. I have not seen your first film. <laughs> Beach Pillows.
1: Oh good. no, it's fine. Um, it's something to look forward to. Well, yeah. if you if you do see that one, that might be more like whatever. I'm thrilled about the new one and excited to talk about it. But just in terms of autobiographical resonance um that first one might speak to you in some ways so if you ever do get to it let me know
0: yeah you know what i was uh, i was reading up a little bit before the show in, in preparation um and uh it, it it did seem interesting like it was it was uh it was cool to see your perspective about why why you wrote it and um uh you know like how after you graduate college there's sort of like this middle ground of you know what do i do next what's next for me um and uh yeah. yeah, that's uh that's interesting. I will definitely check it out. But we will we will get to your movie making career um at some point during this interview. But um let's uh let's get started as I usually do. Um how did you get started playing lacrosse? <sighs> Okie doke. I um
1: as i I'm sure a lot of people with older siblings started just kind of doing everything they did. So my old my oldest brother Nick and um uh, my brother, who's a year younger than him, Chris um, Hartophilus, played lacrosse, played football, played basketball, played everything. So I would just kind of do exactly what they did, and uh, you know I remember because we grew up in we grew up in Bethpage, so you would go. I remember one day my mom just came home with like uh, lacrosse sticks because they would provide sticks with like your equipment, um, you know, the PAL or the team, because it was such, I guess, like, so they were such rarities at that point. Right. So they brought home these sticks and yeah, you just start messing around. And, um, I think I started playing in like fourth grade in in mm-hmm. PAL, maybe even fifth. Cause I kind of distinctly remember two, two years. It could have been three of PAL before junior high lacrosse, which started in, um, seventh grade. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, that's you know I started because I I looked up to my brothers, so that's that's a just a direct, simple answer.
0: Right, right. And so, what other sports did you play? Um, you know, during that time,
1: I played football. Football was like my first
0: memory of an organized
1: team sport that I that I played and really like felt passionately about. And you know, I played running back growing up. It, I was. Not yet smaller than everyone, so mm. I played running back, and I just remembered like big hits and like headaches, probably getting concussions like as really? a you know as an as a eight year old <laughs> um, so but you know i I loved football and still do um so yeah, I mean football, basketball, lacrosse were the big ones. I did play baseball, but always. It always kind of frustrated me um, i didn't have a great eye. I kind of swung at everything, um, which is is kind of how I play lacrosse
2: so, right,
0: right, right.
1: Um, so yeah the, m- most of the big team sports i didn't i didn't do a lot of uh, individual sports
0: so at at what point did lacrosse start becoming the thing that you started thinking like, hey, you know I, maybe I want to play this at the next level, maybe I'd like to play this in college uh,
1: I mean, you probably are encouraged by the fact that you're able to kind of, you know, Long Island is a hotbed, obviously, it was anyway. Um, So when you can kind of separate yourself a little bit from the field, uh, then you figure, okay, you know, I'm good. And maybe this can take me somewhere. Um, So, I think also seeing my brothers kind of decide not to play football in college, uh, even though Nick eventually did at Duke, but they kind of decided we prefer lacrosse and, um, you know, we'll kind of exploit it to our academic potential, like get the best opportunity we can for ourselves academically. Mm-hmm. Um, I, you know, I, I really love those Princeton teams. Um, that, uh, and even me and my brothers watched them until they then went to Duke and got beat by those, by John Hess and those guys. Um, so yeah, my older brother, Nick probably was interested in going to Princeton, but we couldn't really make that financial commitment as a family with three more kids needing to go to college. So they kind of went to Duke on full rides and then, you know, we had a little bit of clearance and I was able to get into Princeton and, um, yeah, it kind of felt like something I always you know, as soon as I started thinking about colleges, that was the one I preferred really that there and Duke were the only ones I looked at. Right. Um, but I would say to answer your question, um, you know, probably like junior high, even, or high school, I, I realized, okay, this is going to be cool because for me, it was the most fun, um, sport because, you know, like everybody says, it has elements of all the sports it's physical, it's fast and, right. you know, it's high scoring. And what I liked most of all and notice about it is the unique control like um you can control the ball more than you can in obviously soccer or hockey you just have like complete possession um hmm. like bas- you know like I guess like basketball um so it allows you know you as an individual player to be really kind of you know have some authorship over the game um and uh and be really creative i always liked you know, the the uh, the pers- the specification allowed for, or, or the personality allowed for in like stringing your stick, just kind of mm-hmm. like how, how you would tape your stick, right, um, right. and then how you would play, like everybody cradles differently, everybody kind of moves a little bit differently, and yeah, I love the creativity, and just like, the, you know, the culture of it, I really mm-hmm. liked, um, you know, I'm sure, again, my brothers were a big influence, but just getting hit um just always watching them play and then getting hit to guys like well i think you're gonna ask some more questions about this so i'll I'll leave it at that
0: (laughs) yeah so that actually that is my next question was um well you know let's let's start with this so you mentioned that your your brothers were were some of the idols um or you know were some of the people that you looked up to um who are the who are the other players that you you sort of modeled your game after Because. Um, or you know what let's let's just start with that who who are, who are the people that you looked up to when you first started thinking about playing lacrosse at the next level?
1: Yeah um, In addition to my brothers who have already mentioned um, And I totally you know modeled my game after them there were guys that they played with like um, especially my brother Nick's Empire team that was like it just felt like all these great players you know, beating up all these upstate teams and um, creating all this opportunity for themselves to get recruited by school. So Mm -hmm. it was like that, that definitely planted a seed. Um, But AJ Hogan was like, Mm
2: -hmm. I
1: think, inspired all my brothers and me, um, just because he, he kind of played, maybe started before us, his dad played. And he just was, you know, he was the man. And just so graceful and kind of move um, and do everything with both hands. Um, so we looked up to him mm-hmm. and uh, you know, you and I talked about when we were playing with Casey Powell, right? just trying to emulate the way he emulate, the way he roll dodged and split dodged um, in order to create separation. And honestly, that was something like you. Uh, and I remember I I think maybe you brought this information to me or we like discussed it together. Um, but we kind of figured out how he sets up his split or his role. Right. And I remember being like, okay, this is effective. Basically, if you don't get jammed up um, in the middle, <laughs> like this is, this is pretty much a good way to do it. So that always worked. Right.
2: Um.
1: And I, yeah, um, I, I, remember I mean, that. I could get more specific. Yeah. Do, would it, would it be instructive to get more specific? Yeah, Basically, I, I think. You would like step first in the direction you plan to go, as if you were baking in that direction, then take a hard step away from where you're going, and that's when the defender really commits, because yep. he feels like, all oh, right, you made that initial step, now he's going where he wants to go, and now when he commits on your second step, then like roll or split to your third, And you know I, I think that's how guys like Rabel and all these guys kind of right. Split that, and roll dodge. Um, yeah, that's that's uh, 100%. That a hundred percent.
0: That's how I remember it. Uh, you know, it's, it's essentially like, you know, most people when they do a split dodge, they fake one way and go to the next. And right, uh, you and I, you and I talked about, uh, you know, either people are used to that or that's just not enough. So it was, uh, you know, the step one direction, step the next direction, and then go the original direction. So it was one, two, three. Uh, and yeah, that it's the magic separated. of three three yeah. is a magical number <laughs> It is a magic number throughout the universe the the other thing that I remember um, which uh, uh, I actually always associated uh, I, I, I Can't remember which one of us like brought it to the other but I, I always associate this with uh, I would associate this with you having this conversation was um, You pay attention to the checks that the defensemen are making And uh, Mm -hmm. so if you're going up against a defenseman and let's say, you know, you're carrying with the stick in your right hand and the defenseman is making these long slaps, like basically at your chest, like, you know, trying to hit the stick, but not really. You wait until he actually commits with his stick and then you split the other way. Because at that point you have you have essentially like thrown the defenseman has thrown his weight in one direction and you have him. You can split. I remember talking about that with you. Um, specifically about Casey Powell, uh, you know, a few times when we played together as well. Um, yeah, that was my 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 major question was. So uh, I definitely remember you talking about about AJ, um, and uh, you know, and I, just I'd be remiss. Sorry, Joe, but yeah, like yeah, go ahead. Kevin
2: Lowe
1: Kevin Lowe taught me in CW mm-hmm. Post Lacrosse Camp um, growing up, and you know, then I saw him score the uh, championship winning goal at Princeton and you know he's a long island guy so kevin lowe was very influential too as well as you know john hess um hubbard and massey jesse hubbard and chris massey uh big time but um yeah so i I wanted to mention those guys too
0: right so uh, my my next question is uh, you know so how did the
1: gate brothers if we didn't say the gate brothers the (laughs) gate brothers like bot like baseline started at all made lacrosse cool and they were the guys you looked up to and um yeah they like they're the Michael Jordans of the game um for sure
0: absolutely absolutely so you know you uh so how did you sort of how did you incorporate all these players style into your game right because the you know the reason why I wanted to talk about your brothers to start was uh I saw your brothers um I saw your brothers before I was in high school, and seeing them made me think that you were gonna have a different style of play like they were uh they were uh you know i mean they were a little bigger they were midfielder they played a they played a different position they seemed to like uh they were more uh, you know they weren't bull dodgers but uh, you seemed to be more more finesse than than they were. Um, so, so yeah, how did you, how did you, you definitely had elements of the, uh, their game as well, but how did you sort of incorporate all these different styles into your game? Yeah, I think I,
1: yeah, I probably would have played more like them if I could have, um, like, uh, they're, they're, they were always bigger and stronger than me. Um, especially when I was in high school, um, yeah, I got kind of bigger as I, got into college. But, um, yeah, so I had to, I I basically had to figure out, you know, I can't kind of muscle through guys, um, too much. So I've got to figure out how to get my hands free and shoot. And, um, so I kind of realized, um, that, um, well, one, I just felt like in lacrosse I shooting wasn't punished. You know, you get the ball back, uh, you should get the ball back if somebody's backing up the cage. So I I kind of embraced that and always felt like, you know, if I took a shot, um, the analytics were in my favor, just on, like, from a team perspective, like, mm-hmm. we all want to score goals, like, I'm just going to shoot it as many times as I can. <laughs> uh, so I don't know, I, I don't know if it was too conscious, but honestly, cra- crafting my game was about... Um, you know, practicing with my teammates and then going home and shooting for two or three hours until it was dark and I couldn't shoot anymore. And I was thinking about this yesterday because I knew we were going to talk about it. You know, I had a goal that was pushed pretty far up against my, um, or close to my, um, kind of a shed so that I'd have backup. Um, so really that forced me and probably seeing my brothers practice this way to just dodge down the alleys and shoot from the wing and practice that stuff over and over, which is worked because I was in man right. Um, you know, so, sometimes I would pull the cage up and dodge from behind. Um, mm. but I definitely did that less. And I think that basically dictated my game being more of a wing game. Hmm. Um, but, uh, so I that would be like a lesson to, you know, pull out the goal and, and dodge from behind a little more. Right um but i i don't know i was always funny with lacrosse because you were mentioning like rolling when somebody checks or whatever Mm -hmm. and yeah i always felt like and this is when i got two in my head playing the game like you know i could always sprint to x with my right hand and roll as we were crossing x and Mm -hmm. get a step on the guy right like and and i think um maybe because i was a lefty and people noticed it more like nobody says oh this guy's all right Mm-hmm. It, except when you're a lefty, they're like, he's all left just he's because it's left. different. So they notice yeah. it. Yeah. So I was conscious of like, I don't want to do that move over and over, but it does always work. And I think if I would go back, I would just do it more. Just sprint to X and roll back to my left and go as hard as I can. Right. Yeah. Um, uh-huh. And not be so like, not care about the pe- the impression or people thinking I was cool because, you know, I use my right hand more than most people use their left hand. So it's like, right. um, that, that's just something I remember, um, but I think I'm, I'm going off on a tangent here.
0: No, I, I, I am always surprised that not, not a lot of attackmen or uh, not every attackman use that, right? Like you have you have that advantage where if you can get the defenseman to jump over the back of the net, you essentially have him right there because for a split second he's up in the air. Um, I'm surprised yeah. that uh, attackmen don't use that more. But, um, but yeah. so if, and if just you because you know when you're going to turn, so it's impossible...
2: Right. You know,
1: if you're running full speed, he's got to run full speed to keep right. up with you. And then at any point, you're going to change direction and naturally have an advantage unless right. you've got like a tail that's slowing you down and he's able to jump the gun. You know what I mean?
0: Right, 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 right. So if you can, can you can you talk about what those sessions look like um, after practice? Like talk about some uh, of the things that you did uh, on your own to get better.
1: Yeah. Well, I I would just... I would, it's funny I say I wouldn't dodge from behind. It was more like I would dodge from like uh, the back left corner um, if you're, if you're, if you're facing the goal for max. So Mm -hmm. I would just run and do like um, kind of, what do you call those? Sweep or swing uh, wing dodges. (laughs) So anyway, I would dodge top side (laughs) from kind of behind the goal and work on, turning my body and shooting left-handed either high to low in the lower corner or just kind of ripping it sidearm, um, back towards the goal. Um, and splitting to top side uh, from my left hand from the, from the left wing, mm-hmm. so splitting from right to left, um, running, like I talked about running towards X with my right hand rolling back to my left and then just coming down both alleys. So splitting down the alleys and shooting, Um, with your right or your left hand, which, and I think Princeton uh, encouraged some of those behaviors in a way because we forced guys down the side. Um, And even our practice team, they forced us down the side and underneath. So you'd always be like, you know, let me see if I could just kind of take what they're giving me and score.
2: right? And then,
1: but also, um, you know, it was incumbent upon you to, to test the defense and keep them on their toes. So at the same time, always be trying to get top side on guys in order to kind of make the defense do something they didn't want to do and and, and expose them a little bit. Um, But really, for me, it was volume. It was shots. It Mm -hmm. was like hundreds and hundreds of shots. And then um, like every day, and I really enjoyed doing it. um, And I got better, like, in high school, I wasn't like, I don't think I was considered necessarily like a man up shooter or an outside shooter. Um but um you know, I, I guess I was a scorer, but as I shot and I guess got stronger in the weight room, I you know, it was like, okay, this is a big part of my game, just catching and shooting wherever I am. And then if somebody's running at you you know, that's a good thing because then you could just run by them.
2: Right.
1: Um, yeah. That... So it, it was just volume, man. It was just shooting. And I need to mention my mom because she would go into the woods behind our house and <laughs> collect and chase all these lacrosse balls because there was poison ivy, which I was very allergic to. Oh, and, man. Um, she's from Ireland. And a, a poison ivy doesn't exist in Ireland, so I'm not sure if that's why she's um, – She's not allergic, but she would just go in there and uh, not suffer for it. So I have no problem. She,
0: that's that's amazing.
1: Yeah, it's pretty cool. That's You uh, might that's be a g- superhero.
0: That yeah, <laughs> yeah, I was just gonna say yeah. that is a that is mutation that you definitely need to look into. Uh, I, yeah, I, I didn't I didn't have it uh, I didn't have it that way. I had uh, in my backyard. Um, the two options were I can. I could put the cage in front of my house, which would almost guarantee that I would break a window. So I couldn't do that or I'd have to turn it mm-hmm. and we lived on a river. Uh, and if I missed the cage, the ball would go in the river. So <laughs> I like it was the, it, I had two terrible options, either break a window or lose the ball. Uh, but That's interesting <laughs> because that your
1: game was more like get, get close to the goal and like bury right. it kind of, and right. then even distribute. So it's like, that's, um that's yeah, exactly that's that, I mean that incorrect. is
0: that's exactly what I had to work on in the backyard was basically up close shots'cause if I took a mm-hmm. you know if I took a further outside shot and I missed the day was over, you know and i'd have to right. I'd have to go find another ball um but uh but so so let's let's jump ahead to um uh you know what made you decide on princeton um i th- you yeah, know i i always um had
1: a pretty you know, focused on academics as, as much as I could and was influenced to do so by my parents. And um, I'm not sure how I discovered or realized that Princeton was a good school um, that I might want to go to, but I kind of knew that at a certain point when, um, when considering my options. And I think the combination of it being like a really prestigious academic institution alongside a winning uh, lacrosse program Mm-hmm. Um, you know, with all these titles, kind of when we were in high school, right. um, it was, it just seemed like the ideal, like, oh, they've got the best of both worlds. So for me, assuming my family could could afford it um, and, you know, my parents had to like give me the green light, mm-hmm. um, that was where I wanted to go. And uh, so, like I said, I only took two visits, one to Princeton and one to Duke. And I, I really enjoyed my Duke trip. It w- It was a lot of fun. Right. At, at, but, like, full disclosure, I don't uh, – I'm not sure if it's, like, even um, nice or relevant to share this now. Awesome. But Coach Pressler had offered me – I remember he was at the kitchen table with me and my parents. And I actually was cramping up because we had practice that day. <laughs> it was kind of funny. <laughs> um, but he – and I don't know if this was because I was cramping up, but he mm-hmm. he, he eventually offered – he's like, here's what we're going to do. And he's, you know, a really uh, – um, persuasive guy, kind right. of uh, yeah, charismatic, and he was like, "We're gonna give you uh, fifty pr- half a ride the first year, and then we're gonna you know go full year two, three, or whatever, or like get there right. based on play or something."
2: Uh-huh. And I
1: was just kind of like, and, and and so he left, and my dad was like, "I guess you're going to Princeton." <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah, he kind of uh, forced our hand a little bit. Although I think. Right. I and they would have
0: made that decision either way. Right, right. Gotcha. Um, wait a minute. I. Have, what did you think he was offering because you were cramping up? You. Yeah, he, he <laughs> yeah I was you. like, the, he's like <laughs> this <laughs> kid can't even get
1: through a dinner without Forget getting this hurt. guy.
0: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, so I'm curious. So that uh, that that first semester when you. We're at princeton um did you feel like uh the school was a fit right away um i it was i, I think anything
1: being away from home would have and having all of this responsibility would have been a shock to the system the way princeton mm-hmm. was because i uh I, it's funny i'm like um i don't know i'm not in i wouldn't be the guy that was inclined to be like okay Let's get the schedule together. How am I getting to all these classes? I was just kind of like, all right, what are we doing, guys? So I would, like, follow <laughs> Brad Dumont and Owen Daly
2: right.
1: and Anthony Perna and be like, okay, what do, where do we go? What do we do? Like, I didn't know what was going on. <laughs> um, but as far as, as far as being around, you know, the team and meeting new people and being on my own, it was, no, it was, like, super exciting. It was super right. exciting. And we were, of course, playing – that you're playing fall ball right away. So you're, you're, you're with the team and kind of, you know, they're introducing you to everything. So they were essential. I'm sure I would have handled it differently had I been on my own, but you just kind of lean on the team.
2: Right. And
1: in terms of what you're, you know, what you should be doing. Right. And, but yeah, initially I was kind of like, Oh, what classes are you taking? I took an economics class. That was like a total bust. I was like, yeah, this is not interesting to me. (laughs) Um, and, uh, but yeah, so then you figure out like where your interests lie and kind of the rhythms of the school, like, okay, do these classes, um, make you take tests or write papers? I always prefer to write papers, mm-hmm. um, because I enjoyed writing and you could right. kind of, you could just do, do it on your own schedule a little more and not right. be surprised. Mm-hmm. Um, so once I found out, yeah, I'm going to try to find classes where I can write and, um, then I felt pretty good and was able to do pretty well
0: right. so in terms of so in terms of like the you know the people that you were hanging out with you had the team was there there wasn 't really that much of a transition, but it did take you a little time to figure out how things ran school wise yeah I, yeah, and I think everybody should be prepared for that. I wish I had known like okay, this will be your
1: responsibility, so just you know I get distracted by like. <clears throat> relationships and people because that's that's what i enjoy the most and like feel like is the most important so it's it really like right off the bat it becomes like a socialization experiment um and that's Mm -hmm. you know there's a lot of anxiety associated with that like getting to know the older guys um there are elements of like initiation going on that you kind of have to suck up Mm -hmm. so um yeah it was just like you know, trying to be cool, <laughs> trying to be cool and m- make a good impression. Um, right. And like a little less, like what, what do I really need to be doing here academically? I kind of figured I would, I'd be able to catch up on that.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. The, uh, uh, I mean, you touched on this a little bit. The The, the biggest thing for me was I, I wish that um, I wish that I had tried to experiment more my, my freshman year. It's like you, you sort of, you're, your first year, you're you're overwhelmed with just the fact that you're away at school and you know you're uh-huh. out of college and like you've sort of built this thing up in your mind is, as as uh, you know this this really big thing, um, and uh, you know so you just like you just basically you take the classes that everybody basically tells you to take, and I wish right, that I would right. have been like you know what this is my freshman year, especially my first semester of my freshman year. Let me try a bunch of different things so I can decide. Hey, I like this class. I don't like this class. This track seems interesting. Maybe I won't try this track. I didn't really do that at all. I basically was just so yeah. overwhelmed by that first year, Um, you know, that I didn't oh, really yeah. experiment with everything. Um, yeah, because how- you, you yeah you end up following because you know that's a
1: helpful tool in society in 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 any kind of right. context like you know what especially okay these guys are familiar with the lacrosse commitment what classes and majors work within our schedule which is like super demanding so you naturally kind of follow the lead but i agree um i think um, everybody wishes they would have taken advantage of some more things at college uh, especially academically or even like clubs you know extracurricular clubs whether you know in my case like filmmaking or performance or stuff like that um because Princeton had some really good ones that I just you know were completely off my radar at the time.
0: Yeah, see, I, I would have I would have tried something uh, something similar. Uh, it, it honestly, it never even once occurred to me to try to make. Fr- I mean, I did have friends that didn't play lacrosse, but it never mm. once occurred to me to make friends with people who are not on the lacrosse team. Just because that's that was like my whole life up until that point. Yeah, um, yeah, and there's but, so
1: little time, man. I mean, when you consider like the the athletic commitment which for us was like probably five hours a day yeah um and then it's social life like you um and and there you know there are missteps there but like the the um Priority and importance of social life in college, it just overwhelms you. And what you realize with some distance is it's not just the going out and the drinking, it's the recovery. Like we were at our peak physical condition, but you would still
0: lose a day from going out at night. And it's like, you can't really lose days if you want to be productive. Right. Yeah, exactly. No, you're exactly right. Exactly right. Um, so how did you, how did you handle, I mean, especially at an institution like, like Princeton, um, how did, you have any problems balancing school and lacrosse or was that something that just came natural to you? Uh,
1: I, I was, I was able to handle it pretty well. Um, you know, again, especially once I realized like, listen, if I have to be in classes where I'm taking tests and I have to go to like every lecture and, you know, do a ton of um, kind of um, required reading to like, to, to, to just kind of learn a ton of stuff and, and they can ask a select amount of that stuff. I felt like, okay, this is inefficient. Like, I can't just... Be learning more than I need to know. So like, <laughs> let me take the classes just because of my time constraints. So like, let me take the classes where I can write a paper and dive as deeply into a subject and, you know, mm-hmm. do a good as, as do as well as I can with it. Um, so yeah, so that's kind of how, where I found my lane with writing and that helped me become a better writer. So it, it all, it all worked well. Um, with the only thing was when I ta- started taking the film production classes, um, which it wasn't until I don't, I think my junior year, um, uh, yeah, junior and senior year, I had to m- come late to like Thursday practice because this was outside of the like politics, major history, major, kind of all these classes fit within our lacrosse schedule. Right. So this ate into it a little bit on Thursdays and coach T wasn't psyched. He wasn't <laughs> psyched about it, Right, but, um, because it's like, you know, he, he, he like put a lot of importance on practice and we practice for a long time because of that. Um, so, and, and we probably had a little less extracurriculars required stuff. So we practiced for like three and a half hours. Um, right. so yeah, that's he where me- he, he got all the work in.
0: He mentioned that on the show. He said, uh, he said he used to do three and a half, you know, three hour long practices. Um, and now his practices apparently don't go any longer than 90 minutes.
1: I heard that I couldn't believe it. And I'm, I'm surprised (laughs) he's able to get, I'm surprised he's able to get um, great results, but I think kids now are just better with their sticks in general. And probably at, and at Denver you're able to get kids who are a little, you know, who have better handles. um,
0: Yeah. I I think, I I don't know. I had always thought that, um, I mean, you know, at, at, at Virginia we practice two hours, two and a half hours. Um, you know, every day, uh, at Syracuse, uh, I thought practice were going to be shorter. They were actually definitely longer. They were three, three and a half hours every day. Um, and, and I always felt that, uh, I mean, this goes back to even like a little bit in high school. Uh, and I always Mm -hmm. thought that I was just, uh, you know, I was just lazy. It, It totally just, it totally could be that. But I always felt that like, you know, if I would, if I would get hurt, Or if I would have to miss a practice for whatever reason for like, you know, a day or two, I I would come back and just be like, oh my God, like this is what my legs are supposed to feel like. Like, (laughs) like I can actually run and and I feel so much more rested. And I always, I always had it in the back of my mind that, um, you know, I I must be like overrunning or overworking or, or something like that. Um, and it doesn't totally surprise me that a lot of the coaches that I talk to Are I mean like their practices are no longer than ninety minutes because I mean you're just you're running full speed all day every day it it wears on your body Um, and uh, you know the more refreshed you are for the game the better you're gonna be Um, yeah but uh but so one thing I'm curious about and and you sort of you you've touched on this a little bit earlier in the show is uh. And correct me if I'm wrong, but I remember your game being much different in high school than it was um, in college, and I think that's you know that's true yeah. for a lot of players. Just because you know you you uh, you know when you get to college, you go to a team where uh, you know maybe you were the ball carrier on your team in high school, but maybe there's a better yeah. ball carrier on the team that you're on in college, um, and that mm-hmm. person takes that role. Um, but I would, have, I would have definitely said that you had a really good outside shot in high school, but it turned phenomenal when you were uh, you know, in college, when you were in Princeton. Um, mm-hmm. what, what do you attribute that to? I mean, how, how did that come about? Uh, yeah, I, I, I
1: agree. I think in college you find out, okay, what's my role on the team? How do I best contribute? Um, and the coach, of course typically helps you with that. Mm -hmm. Um, But as far as shooting, I think it was just like repetition. You know, it's that 10,000 hours thing. Mm -hmm. Um, You just keep doing it. And I noticed this playing the guitar, which I've done since, uh, you know, which I started in college. Like you come back to the guitar and this is what I love, what I love about it so much. Or one of the things that uh, makes me keep wanting to come back is that every time you put your hand on it, you feel more dexterous and better and like you progressed. So um I think the same thing happened with shooting. You just do it more and more of course of course at school you've got turf fields and hundreds of balls. So you can do it even even a little more. Right. Um You're not gonna worry about your mom
0: getting poison ivy. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) (laughs) Um
1: so, yeah, it was really repetition and, you know, I got a little bigger and stronger. I grew late. I had like Osgood Schlatter's, you know, bad knees and like sophomore year of, of high school, you know, right. when I was on varsity and stuff right. and kind right. of was was getting my growth spurt. And then, I, you know, I think I was pretty much grown by like senior year or, or freshman year of college. And then I could start adding a little muscle. So,
0: right.
1: yeah, it was just kind of all that.
0: Gotcha. Gotcha. Um, so I want to start talking a little bit about, um, you know, what you do now. Uh, so what, what did you major in when you were at Princeton?
1: Politics. Um, yeah, so I was a political theory major. Uh, most guys majored in history or politics, Let less guys majored in politics, but I found that a little more interesting. Um, at the time but it's it really ends up being uh you know it's a liberal arts education so you're able to take i was able to take film classes uh english classes like different stuff outside of your major but yeah the politics major was a lot of political theory and philosophy and how that was based on um, impressions of human nature in order to have the best possible kind of impact on society and, right. um, you know, in international relations and current events too. But and, yeah, that was and, my major.
0: And did you, did you take that? Because, uh, I mean, obviously it sounds like you were interested in it somewhat, but did you think that you were going to have a career in politics? What was that in the back of your mind?
1: I don't think I did. Um, again, though Princeton has a really strong kind of, um, political, um, uh, you know, course load and, and, and history like Woodrow Wilson. There's a school named after him at, at Princeton. So maybe I would have like leaned a little more in that direction because I certainly have a lot of interest and don't even necessarily rule out um, potential ambition in that direction in the future.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: But um, no, at the time I was um, – I, I really was kind of um, – I, I was finding my creative outlets and, uh, and kind of, you know, I, I was obsessed with films um, and even kind of fixed literature at that point. And, um, and then you just um, became really immersed in uh, filmmaking in college. Just, I, I think at a certain point in college, when you start to learn a little bit more about, in this case films, I I became aware of like the director and Mm -hmm. um just uh the aesthetics of movies and what people were doing visually and how it was like you know kind of like really a transcendent experience. Like if I was watching like something like the graduate with my roommates in college and just Mm -hmm. being like, oh my God, the music and the shots and like how emotionally this this is so resonant to me, I was like this is just connecting. So Mm then I, um, and then starting to make my own, it was just so rewarding. Um, It just felt, it it felt right and really purposeful um, to like, you know, I have all these emotions. I'm kind of interested in art uh, and all these different kinds of art and to kind of fuse my interests in order to express myself and, you know, communicate with people uh, things that, be helpful to them, or make them feel like, "Oh, somebody else is feeling what I'm feeling." That just started to feel like really purposeful to me.
0: Right? Yeah. So i i want to I want to sort of structure this conversation um, a, a certain way. You know, because I mean, obviously people are listening to this. Um, uh, you know, the, the lacrosse players, lacrosse coaches are, are yeah. listening to this, and and the way that I, I, I sort of want to move this conversation is. So I, a lot of the things. Can I say one that, quick thing? Yeah, go ahead. You're in the middle of an
1: amazing question. I just wanted to say one thing that I felt about lacrosse in the last year and yeah. like might be instructive for younger players. Mm-hmm. I realized, especially when I was able to shoot, eventually able to shoot hard enough, I, you can't miss low. So I had this impression that, like, right. listen, ch- ch- try to put it under the bar, hit corners, low to high, and all that stuff's great in terms of keeping the goalie on his toes or whatever. But it's like if I had just shot as hard as I can, low, high to low, every shot, I wonder if I would have had 20 more goals a year. You know what I mean? Right. Yeah, absolutely. So I, well, yeah, so I, I would it, encourage kids to, like, not get frustrated. If a goalie makes a save, it's just it's such a sting to the ego but don't that doesn't mean you have to be perfect like right. the goal's big shoot it hard if you don't know exactly where it's going the goalie doesn't either you're never right. going to be perfect so just like uh, you know i i would go back and be like just hide a low every right. single time and see what happens <laughs>
0: right i no, you know what honestly i i totally agree um i mean one I, I think that's a great point you you can't miss low two um or uh, like you know you're not going to shoot the ball over the cage low uh to uh i mean i think if i i've never heard anybody really explain this but i i think this i think this makes a lot of sense like if you look if you were to if you were to take a picture of a goalie in the net right the mm. upper the top 50% versus the bottom 50% the top 50% has you know his upper body his head the stick his which more easily right yeah. which more easily goes you know to to the corners of the cage uh but if you look at the bottom half of him it's just two sticks Right, So it's like there's so much more cage that you can hit. Uh, Mm -hmm. So I I totally agree there. And then the other thing that uh, I think you told me, Tierney said this to you, um, was that uh, it was something about uh, forget about bouncing the ball, right? Like just stick it. Mm -hmm. If you're going to shoot low, stick it in the air, uh, high to low into the bottom corner. Don't try to bounce the ball. Um, Cause it, like there's too many things that could go wrong. Like it could it could hit another player. It could like hit a rock and skip, you know, and miss the cage. Just like stick it where you want to stick it in the cage. Shoot, Those for, are the shoot for net. Shoot for net. Yeah, exactly. Those are the things it, that if uh, you know if uh, if if I was teaching a kid right now where to shoot, it, I think you're dead on. Is just high to low, bottom corners, um, make the goalie make the save.
1: Yeah, especially if you're out there and you shoot hard and you're like you know, I'm always trying to go low to high and listen, I, you know, I, I buttered my bread with low to high. I, so I get it. <laughs> right, um, right. but if you feel like, you know, I, I missed the goal five, ten times today, it's like, mm-hmm. okay, next game, every shot shoot as hard as you can straight between the goalies legs right. and just see what happens. Now he might start just getting down on everything, but, then at least you'll have him dipping. You know what I mean, and then you can exactly. mix it up. Exactly. So yeah, I, I no, agree I think you're with your right. advice and the way I you described it. Right.
0: Um, but uh, but yeah, you know I. Uh, so anytime you want to throw a lacrosse lesson in uh, during these next couple of questions, I completely encourage it. Um, but cool. uh, I definitely want I, I want to talk about how you ended up uh, you know with filmmaking, especially since that that wasn't your major. And uh, where I was going before with this question was, I mean, you know, to to be honest, like this was, you know, whenever I'm in job interviews, whenever I'm asked like, hey, if you can if you can do it over again, what would you what would you be? You know, and I always say like I, I always say like I'd be involved in movies, I'd be an actor, I'd be a filmmaker or something like that. Right. And it never oh. once occurred to me while I was in school to try those classes or take those classes or really, you know, like ask myself, hey, what do you really like? Um, yeah. What are you interested in, you know, that you do on your own um, and try to maybe follow that path? And so I, I guess what I want to ask is, you know, especially since you graduate from Princeton, you have a political degree. Um, you know, what how did you sort of get involved in making movies? How, how did this path come about?
2: Mm-hmm.
0: So I
1: I like I said, I took um the two film production classes that were offered at Princeton because the film major wasn't, um, offered there when I went, they've since had an endowment and I think they do have a film major now. Mm -hmm. Um, but so I took introductory film and video practice junior year and then advanced film and video practice senior year. And that was just making films. So you would, you know, write something, shoot it, edit it. So that's where I learned how to edit and Mm -hmm. I've edited all my stuff ever since, um, always just wrote what I've directed. Um, so for me, it was great because I learned, oh, I, I can do everything from beginning to end, um, and not necessarily re- rely on as many other people to make a piece of work. Um, sure. but so I, I spent more time on those classes in college, like all night in an editing room, for example, cutting a film than like all of my other classes combined just in terms of time commitment. So it was pretty clear to me that I'm enjoying this. And I was, good. you know, I got A's in those classes and I would always have like the last, we had a showcase at the end of each semester and mine was like, you know, the last film to be shown and stuff. Mm -hmm. Um, so yeah, I was, I was pretty good at it. And then I wrote my, um, first feature script right after I graduated college, I started, I wrote half of beach pillows on like my parents' kitchen table And then I drove out to California with Dennis Garrity, who, you know, and we both played with. Um, and we, so we drove across country together and lived in his brother's office on bunk beds. And, um, and then I started, I, I, I finished the script out there was able to get it optioned by a company in New York, pretty much the first people that read it. Then, um, then an LA company, uh, bought it from them. Um, and at that time for work, I, I, my first job was assisting a director, Rennie Harlan, who directed like cliffhanger. He's like an action director, a Finnish yeah. action director.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: <laughs> um, so that was a cool first gig, especially like kids at a film school with like a job like that. So I was, I was lucky to get it, but it was mostly like personal assistant stuff. And then I went on to assist a, um, a producer from Princeton, Tom Sternberg, um, a much older guy, um, and then, you know, I was coaching lacrosse out there at that time at Loyola High School. I was an offensive coach at Pepperdine. Um, I was coaching at camps and, you know, I was, I was making shorts too. So, and and trying to kind of move beach pillows forward. But um, so after three years, I moved back to New York. We drove back with my wife because I, I'd always planned to move back here and started working in TV and film development here. But kind of the short answer is um just in terms of turning a corner to get my first feature done um i i always felt like oh there's a way this is done you get it optioned and then kind of it's packaged at a studio or production company and they kind of take it from there and hopefully you can direct it but as a first time writer director it's you're probably not going to be able to um uh, because there's this chicken egg paradox like okay um we okay you want you want to write or, or direct the first thing you've written, like, uh, first time filmmaker, but we need, what have you done? So it's like, well, how do I do anything if you need to see something that I've done kind of thing? Right. You know what I mean? Yeah. So it's yeah, yeah. It's like a paradox. And the only way to, and you know, I've made a bunch of shorts and earned confidence uh, from people in my ability to do it, right. but you just kind of never turn a corner because you're waiting on permission or approval. Like, Um, or somebody else to raise the money for you or to get the actors, whatever. And, um, you know, there was a time in New York where this director, uh, wanted to make it and he had a production company and we did a table read and all this stuff. Hmm. And that just never went anywhere. And I, I eventually realized like, you know, what, the only thing holding me back here is myself. Like everybody responds well to the material the way I need them to, um, it's just hard to make movies and nobody's gonna like have as much understanding of it or belief in it as you do. So you need to be the one making all these things happen. So kind of when I t- turned that corner in my head, I, um, it was funny, it coincided maybe with my friend, Jesse Hoy, who I grew to know out in LA, who's the journalist for this band, The Deadly Syndrome. Um, and I, he had shared a picture from his bachelor party. And this is when I was back in New York and Jeffrey Arend, um, who ended up being the lead in beach pillows, he was in one of the pictures and, you know, Jeffrey was in super troopers and, um, like a bunch of other movies. So I said, Oh, this is this guy, you know, I've always loved him since, you know, I saw super troopers in college and, uh, at the theater with my buddy, Brad, and we were just, it was just a riot. It was amazing.
2: Right. And
1: um, and he, I thought, stole the movie in the first scene.
2: Right. Um,
1: so I was like, this guy is great. He does, you know, he's he's great in everything. I don't, I don't know, I don't see him working as much as I would, as I would want. Which was basically irrelevant. But I was like, you know, this lead character is um, kind of a, a more passive, quiet, reactionary guy. So. But Jeffrey's bit—he's tall, his face is really expressive, and he's really funny. So I could—I know it'll be funny even if he's not doing a bunch, just because Jeffrey's mm-hmm. in that role.
2: Right. And then
1: so I sent it to him, and um, he read it on his phone, or, or through Jesse, who knew him because he was at Jesse's bachelor party, because right. Jesse's wife is a stylist, and his and his wife actually styled christina Hendricks, um who who is jeffrey's wife i don't know if i'm being redundant here and um (laughs) so that's how they that's how he was at his bachelor party so that's how i gave it to jesse to give it to jeffrey and i said i want you to be the lead for these reasons and jeffrey read it on his phone he he told me like really quickly Mm -hmm. and 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 was like yeah did you meet jeffrey at this point no no i hadn't met him we were just communicating communicating over email um
0: so he read it and and kind
1: of um signed up and i was like that that's great so okay because especially for a first-time filmmaker or just films in general actors make it real for people because that's what they see so they really help you raise money um and like communicate to people that this is going to be a legit, a legitimate endeavor that might be able to, you know, get a return. So, uh, Jeffrey signed on. And then I was like, you know, this is funny, but your wife is in the show Mad Men with Vincent Carthizer, who hasn't done anything like this before. He, he, I was thinking of him for the character of Nick and he hasn't done anything like this. Nick is very outgoing and kind of inappropriate and just super talkative. Mm -hmm. Um, and a little bit of a troublemaker. So I was like, this, you know, I haven't seen Vinny in something like this, but based on a little bit of what I, you know, I loved Mad Men. And I was mm-hmm. like, there were a couple episodes that he was like dancing and smiling. There was mm-hmm. a Christmas episode and, and a Kentucky Derby episode. And I was like, so he kind of just glowed through his character. Mm-hmm. And I was like, I think he could be great for this. Uh, and he was just a great actor, in my opinion, anyway. So then Jeffrey said, that's really funny because I do know Vinny well. He introduced my wife and I, and he, um, he's a lot like this character in real life, um, Hmm. of Nick. So I was like, that's amazing. Um, so he, so he said he would get it to him. So Jeffrey did share it with him. And then Vinny took a little longer to read it. Um, but he said he read it on the beach with his friends and like they played all the roles and he loved it and signed on. And then with, with, those are the leads. So then I had like the movie. So it was really kind of building it around them. And I was able to get a casting director and cast the parents who Richard Schiff and Annette O'Toole. And then with all these actors, I raised the money independently. So I, um, and that was done similar to, a lot of you know similarly to the way a lot of first time filmmakers do it, like the Cohen Brothers with their first film blood simple they in Minnesota they raised money from family and friends like doctors, dentists, bankers, people with money mm,
0: <laughs> so right, right, right. and
1: that that can actually be easier because than than raising money from film people because film people tend to not have money <laughs> and because it's <laughs> you know it's like um it, it's, at the end of the day, it's art, so there's right. less money in art than other fields, um, especially uh, for artists. No. So, um, so, but people that aren't in it, so like bankers, whatever, they've got disposable income that they might want to invest, and it's mm-hmm. also kind of cooler and more interesting for them to get involved with something like that.
0: Right. So, um, and they're kind of putting so yeah, th- they're putting their trust in you. Right. Like they they know you from years. So, you know, they know where their, where their money's going to. Right. Right. And they're
1: more inclined to care about you and want to see you succeed and want to help you. So Mm -hmm. that just makes sense. So that's what you kind of realize as an artist, like Mm -hmm. you've got to rely on the, uh, it's, or it's not a, um, a negative or something or a debit to rely on the people who are close to you and love you and believe in you. It's actually incumbent upon you to access those resources. Um, right. Because hopefully in a way you're kind of telling all of your story. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um so that that was great. That was a great experience, and I got a ton of help, for, uh, especially from the Princeton lacrosse community, um, from my fellow alumni. Because you know, all the, a lot of those guys end up going into finance, and right. so they they got money. Um, and <laughs> you know, fortunately, they believe in me. But yeah.
2: so,
1: but it's good to be able to like earn their confidence outside of a personal relationship with these actors attachments with everybody's kind of positive feedback and like, and treating it like a business, like they own 50% of the movie um, uh, with respect to their investment as a percentage of the budget. And, um, and you're all kind of in it together and doing things as efficiently as possible to um, maximize the opportunity for a return.
0: So Tell us where the inspiration for uh Kovidanga came about.
1: That's um, that's a good question. It's a lot of things, a lot of different inspiration, which um, I think is a good thing. You want a lot of inspiration when you're, you know, um, spending a lot of time and energy, and and then money on something, and then asking other people to help you do it. Um, but you know, as far as the the practical aspects like a single location um, I, uh, and a small cast, I, I was purposeful of, about making a story like that because I wanted to be able to do it quickly. I knew what it required to make beach pillows and all the help and all the locations and all the trucks. Mm-hmm. And I was like, you know, if I could focus the location and keep the cast small, and, you know, as a result of that, keep the budget a little smaller and um, the crew smaller, then I could potentially be even more creative um, by just infusing all of my emotion and ideas into a specific, you know, setting. Yeah, uh, I think um, Orson Welles said something like, the death of art is the absence of limitations. So actually, when you give yourself limitations, then you don't have to worry about, okay, this movie has got to take place. You know, we've got it now fly to Mars or whatever to make something interesting happen. No, like everything interesting has to happen on this, at this lake house, basically. Um, so for me, that, that, that allows you to almost forge, forge new creative ground and be more kind of visually dynamic because you've got to keep the setting interesting. You've got to, um, just kind of yeah, keep things moving and engaging. So you're really pushing yourself, and and so I basically was, and and then through that kind of context of a specific setting, I was like, let me do everything I'm afraid of, like sure. long silent stretches without dialogue, where I had previously, you know, something like beach pillows uh, or even some of my earlier shorts. They were like dialogue heavy and more comedic um so i was like let me pull back and just captivate the audience with images and test myself basically um and also like at a certain point i realized i was going to have to be in it so that was kind of um some you know something that exposes you uh in every way possible but certainly emotionally
2: Right. So how, I, did, I, how did like, that come about? How, how did you
0: realize that you were the one? Um, what I was yeah. curious about is, did, did you write the role with you in mind, or was that something that mm-hmm. came up later? I think even if I didn't tell myself that
1: was the case, it was subconsciously what I was doing. And then as I started writing the songs into the script, I was like, okay, nobody's gonna, you know, the way I want to make this, I'm not going to teach anyone else how to play these songs and hope that they know how to play the guitar and sing. <laughs>
2: right.
1: Um, so I, I kind of painted myself into a corner. Um, and, um, but then, you know, the character doesn't, you know, so I, I sing songs. I, I, I dance. I, um, I'm doing all this kind of physical stuff, which can be difficult for actors. Um, and, you know, being emotional, like crying and stuff. So I just felt like, all right, you know, go out swinging, um, put yourself up front. Um, And I think that's the lesson that I've learned more and more through the years. Like the only one holding yourself back is you. Um, Like any negative perception or implication of you being in your own thing and, and putting all of this emotion up, up front is like, is a projection Because this is, you know, the most valuable thing I have to offer as a, as an artist. It's like myself. So, and from even like, um, I don't know, a market perspective, I guess, like my, um, again, my asset and what makes me most unique are the things that make me different. So don't kind of round those off. Don't, don't, don't smooth any edges. Like, right be myself unapologetically and express things I'm interested in that move me. Um, and that will dictate my kind of difference from the pack or my signature. Um, so that, that was all really rewarding to do as I had had hoped. Um, and so, yeah, so a lot of those lessons were taken from beach pillows, which I loved and wouldn't have made any differently, but hopefully you're just carrying lessons, forward your entire life and getting better and better. So right. that, yeah, that that was kind of the instinct. And, and from like a creative side, you know, Irish music is really inspiring to me specifically Luke Kelly and Shane McGowan and kind of different singers like that. And, um, and also um, you know, Catholicism, my Irish heritage. Um, but um, then like more, broadly um but also specifically um i find i'm really interested in like the darkness of the world which is inevitable um just based on the cycle of life uh, you know ending in death and then restarting again so i but also knowing how emotional of a person i am and how affected i am by all of these things that happen it's like really um if you understand that this darkness is inevitable, then what you realize um the world we live in is dictated by our response to it, you know how we treat it, how we process it
2: so if it
1: if it makes you dark um it's not. That's not the answer. <laughs>
2: right. So right, right, you right. kind of
1: want to, Yeah. You, every, yeah. They, and, and this relates to the movie and the, 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 the content of the movie, but also the lessons I've taken through the years and how I look at like mistakes mm-hmm. and um, just the past in general, you know, right. um, uh, James well, Joyce I... said, mistakes are the portals of discovery. So what I find mm-hmm. is like humans are limited. Everybody's got, limited capacity for emotion and brainwaves and, you know, their physical being. So when you um, choose to dedicate some of that capacity to something like regret, you're just limiting your capacity for growth. So anything that I perceive as, you know, a lesson or a mistake, I, I look that not as a regret from the past but a lesson for the future and um, I think that's how we kind of create a better world for ourselves and what's required the essential ingredient that I kind of touch on in uh, Kovadanga is forgiveness you know Hmm. you've just got to forgive yourself you've got to forgive other people because otherwise we're just fighting the same battles of history over and over again and recreating these cycles of violence Um, and we've got to escape it
0: yeah, yeah. So I still uh, i don't want to talk too much about I don't want to talk too much about the movie without giving it away. But um, the one thing that you, that you that you touched on, um, you know, not involving the movie is uh, I mean, you mentioned especially in this movie, you tried to do things that you were that you were afraid of that you never really mm. done before. Um, and I I love that as a lesson because those are things that I feel like I mean, the younger you realize that, the younger you realize that. When you're afraid of something, um, that means you're limiting yourself in that aspect. Um, so, mm-hmm. in a way, you should be attacking that thing. I think that's such an incredible lesson for for really anybody to learn. You know, not even not even obviously not just filmmaking, lacrosse, just anything in life.
1: Yeah, and and w- while we're on that, um, you know, Tom Schreiber was recently. Uh, I we were at a Princeton alumni dinner at school. Mm -hmm. And, um, he gave this speech, he was like the keynote speaker. So he gave this long speech and it was in a really kind of, um, in a way that I respected, he was really honest about his kind of regret and feelings about his college experience. Um, because, you know, he didn't, I don't think he made the playoffs. Um, Mm -hmm. you know, so he, he felt like he, didn't achieve what was maybe expected of him or what he ho- had hoped for himself, especially given his family background with the sport and, you right. know, Princeton's history. Um, so, and that kind of stuck with him, even his first few years in professional lacrosse and was kind of holding him back because he had this, like he always wanted to be perfect. He always regretted not being perfect. And what he realized was, he he just decided, I don't know what was the kind of breakthrough moment uh, or I don't recall, but he decided one MLL season. He's like, you know what? I need to have fun again. Um, I I'm way too hung up on all of this. So he was like a a great kind of specific practical application of being in the moment is he said, you know, the MLL has five minute um, periods of play between TV timeouts. So you know, there's five minutes, and you take time out, whatever. So he said, if I can focus on just five minute chunks and be as good as I can be, and you know, be playing the game with your body, not thinking about it, you know, just playing with right. your eyes, like getting the ball, doing what feels right. Um, so he's like, if I can do that, he's so, so. he said, I focused on doing that five minutes at a time to make sure I was in the moment and. They, they were the number one team in the league as a result pretty quickly, and they won the championship that year. And right. he's like, you know, the number one or two MIDI in the world and right. now a world champion. So that right. all changed for him when he kind of let go of the past. Um, right. So I found that so um, impressive that he was willing to share it in that particular way, but, and also instructive uh, and inspiring for, these, for the kids, the team that was there. And also all of us. So it was, it was, I was really grateful to hear that from Tom. Um, because right. I think everybody feels... And, and, and then I told him afterwards, listen, we won the championship. We went to three straight championships. Every one of my seasons in college ended against Syracuse. No one else ever beat us in the playoffs. Um, so it was, we just have a funny history with them. Which is really, I think about now, is so weird because we're like mirror images of each other. Um, yeah. just a- <laughs> right. approach the game so differently. Totally um, differently.
0: Two totally different yeah. teams. Yeah.
1: yeah, But, you know, that's the team I respected and still respect the most. So It, mm-hmm. it, was, a great, it was a great rivalry. Um, but um, yeah, so I said, you know, even us that won it, we just think about the ones we didn't win. Like, I wish we had won at least right. two or three. So everybody, regardless of your success, because you're a competitive person and you want to get better throughout your life, you're going to think about the negative things. But what's right. important to do is to turn them into lessons and fuel to make you better in the future, not to yeah. create bitterness or kind of regret that keeps you locked in the past. And, right, you know, right. you're, you're um, you're saying you had this ambition to do different stuff in college. And, you know, I felt exactly the same But, like, you know, that's you're doing this podcast now and putting yourself out there and, you know, sharing yourself with people in a creative way. And you're still super young, so you can do whatever you want to do. Like, um, there's so many examples, but so many great people in any field, there are examples of people who started late and much later than us. Um, So, yeah, it's never too late. And as long as you're... Making regrets lessons and not being like oh, I missed out then you're fine because yeah. Everybody misses like that. The, the important thing is realizing you miss and that you can do something about it <laughs> Right?
0: Yeah, no, I, I, I totally agree. I totally agree um, So I, I don't want to keep you too much longer. I mean, I, I can talk to you about this for hours But th- uh, I'd be I'd be remiss if I didn't ask about about your dad and having your dad in the movie um oh. what is it like to to direct your dad in the movie mm-hmm. that you're making who by the way i don't want to say steals the show but is is amazing no that's fine um <laughs> i i agree he's great he's great
1: um and i knew he would be great like i, I work in my like a short idea for funny or die back when people were making those um mm-hmm. i he was in with me in like my first short I shared online so um and I'd done a bunch of stuff before that that wasn't like you know so quick and you know um broad comedy but Mm -hmm. anyway I knew he could act he grew up studying acting um had Mm -hmm. we'd always watch old movies and he was a big influence on me being interested in a lot of this stuff and um and then uh so he studied was never able to kind of make it had to support our family and you know still he hangs on to that in certain ways. So sure. anyway, um, I wrote that role. I was like, this is probably going to be the, the good one for my dad. And, uh, it was great because it's like a long scene of just us together. And, right. um, so it was less about, Oh, he's my dad. Let me put him in a movie. Then I know he'll be great. So I want to show him off. Um, mm. so I'm really psyched that people feel that way. Cause a lot of people are, you know, said the same and he's great. He's a great actor. I'm just like yeah. lucky to have him, but he's a diva. He's tough to work with. He's tough to direct. <laughs>
2: he's like, you know, because
1: he's not familiar with being on a set. So you kind of are explaining to him, you know, what's going on at all, at all times. They're <laughs> taking right. so long. And right. yeah, it's a lot of hurry up and wait on a movie set. And, yeah. um, it can be a grind. So, yeah. you know, you gotta just keep him, uh, positive and all that but he was you know it's ultimately it's like a a really fun super rewarding thing to do and i know we'll just continue to cherish that we were able to do it um yeah for the rest of our lives and hopefully make more i mean i'm always thinking of ways to get him in because he's really good right
0: yeah no i mean his scene was a great scene it's it's really uh um, you know, if I, it's been a while since I've seen it, but I remember it, uh, and I, it was, it was pretty, pretty tense scene. Um, mm-hmm. you're sort of nervous about what's going to happen. Um, and, uh, yeah, he's, he's really great. In and, and I, I, I gotta say again, I, 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 honestly, I honestly enjoyed the movie. Everything that I've seen of yours, um, you know, was, was mostly comedy. And I knew that, uh, not seeing beach pillows, but like seeing, I watched the trailer and everything like that. It seemed, you know, like there, there was a comedic aspect to it and it's cool to see that you went a totally different way. Um, and this movie was, uh, I mean, I, I think you did a great job and, and like I said, there are, there are parts of it that were fun. There were parts of it that I, you know, I don't know how much you intended this, but there were parts of it where I, I actually laughed out loud. I think part of it was because I know you, um, but, uh, but there were, no, there were, there were really funny parts in it. I, I, I really think it's a great movie. Um, and I encourage people to check it out. Um, where can people, where can people find it?
1: Cool. Um, uh, people can find it at Kovadanga.film and you could, you could see, uh, first of all, you could buy it or rent it there for seven or $4. Um, and if you buy it, you can send your purchase receipt to music at covadanga.film and get all the songs from the song. But you can also buy the songs individually at Kovadanga.film you can see all the reviews if you're not sure whether or not you want to see it yet there's a
0: bunch of extras all <laughs> if the my, like if stuff. my word isn't good enough <laughs> <laughs> yeah
2: exactly yeah.
1: uh but no this this podcast will be going on the site when it's when it's published so um awesome. that's where you can check it out and then you can sh- uh watch it on any um smart TV or streaming device so Apple TV Roku Amazon Fire Chromecast AirPlay um you know, all of pretty much any way you want. Um, and I'll also say, because you mentioned the comedic thing, because Mm -hmm. yeah, no, my, that was another thing where I was like, Oh, um, my favorite art, whether it's books, movies, music, um, painting, it's kind of got everything that life has. So it's funny. It's sad. It's thrilling. It's, um, it's scary. It's, you know, emotional, You know, Martin Scorsese movies are that way, Stanley Kubrick movies are that way, you know, Bob Mm -hmm. Dylan's music is that way, Uh, Van Gogh's painting. So anything that's great, kind of, it doesn't deny, it doesn't put itself in a genre and deny the reality of the world. It kind of embraces the world's warts and all and all these kind of tonal shifts. So that's purposeful in Kovadanga especially. And uh, yeah, I'm, I'm glad it came off.
0: Yeah, it was uh it's really a good movie. I I recommend anybody listening, check it out. And you were great in it too, man. Uh you should thanks, dude. Um it was really great. Um but uh but listen, you know, I, I don't want to keep you too much longer. We've already been talking here for an hour and a half. Um everybody who's come on the show has answered one question. Um what are three things everyone should be doing every day to get better at whatever it is they do? It doesn't have to just be lacrosse. Yeah. Um
1: I would say do complete tasks like uh, even if sometimes you feel like um, i'm digging um, a hole and i don't know if i'm ever going to hit treasure as long as you give yourself like a thing like oh i have to you know i'm i'm developing a movie so i want to one finish the script to you know maybe try to create storyboards three make a list of potential cast and then but whatever field it is, like, start and finish things. Because I notice um, it's especially, I think, prevalent in when people speak about creative endeavors. Like, I have writer's block or I can't finish this or that. I nev- I mean, I, I, I suppose I could relate to it, but I can't ultimately understand that thinking because who are you blaming that you're not getting where you want if you're not finishing things? So you've just kind of like you 've got to finish things and then move on to the next thing and not wait around for somebody 's permission or approval to like inspire you to do what you need to do. You just have to keep checking boxes and crossing things off the list and that's how you're going to end up somewhere so that's a big one that 's a real mm-hmm. big one. Um, two would just maybe be like um, learn from your mistakes and don't don't like run from them and don't be ashamed of them and consider them. Uh, you know, wood for your fire, consider them like lessons. Mistakes are the portals of discovery. Somebody, if if you didn't make a mistake, you don't have the benefit of the lesson that the mistake provided. So if somebody doesn't ever make a mistake or doesn't think they're ever making a mistake, like our president, for example, you're not going to learn anything and you're going to be in this stunted phase of, you know, in that case, like adolescence, Right. Um, but, <laughs> right. um, yeah, you've got to learn in order to get better. And I think you hear it from the oldest of people who are the most accomplished. They, you know, they say, my life is about learning and getting better. Mm-hmm. And I think everyone can set that as a goal and achieve it. And, you know, that's, we're, we're always working on ourselves. So that's a big one. And number mm-hmm. three, number three, um, no, I mean, th- these are like almost cliche or trite, but you just don't be, if, if you're afraid of something, do it. If you're scared of the way it's going to be perceived, do it. That probably is an indication that you're going to expose something valuable that will right. be rewarding for you and other people. Um, that's where the gold is. Um, so, and I think uh, Joseph Campbell, who's a great yeah. um, philosopher and kind of writer and thinker he said something like where you trip and fall that's where the gold is so that yeah
0: that's awesome um sean listen man uh you know one thing i want to say i i don't know if i've ever told you this but before i let you go i gotta put you on the spot a little bit um you know it was you and uh mike fiorvani uh you know dave mcwilliams dennis garrity christopher musso um, you know, I, I, I hope I'm not, for else? so psych
1: like, you mentioned him
0: that, I, that <laughs> that's good to know, but you know, I, I, feel like I, 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 gotta, I gotta say this to you and I hope anybody listening sort of takes this to heart is, you know, there was, there was one time when, uh, it was when I, when I just got brought up, I was a freshman on varsity. I was, you know, I, I was struggling. I definitely wasn't playing my best lacrosse and I had zero friends on that team. And I think we went up to Connecticut to, to play in a tournament and I was sitting in the front of the bus by myself, um, you know, and you guys, you called my name and you told me to come back and hang out with you guys. And I literally, I, I never forgot that. I'll, I will never forget that for the rest of my life that uh, honestly, the, I think that changed the course of maybe even my lacrosse career. Cause I, I felt so much more comfortable. I felt, Like, you know, like I was part of the team and it just gave me even just a little bit of confidence um, that, uh, you know, that at least you guys wanted to talk to me. And, you know, I just, now that I got you on the show, I I have to say thank you to you and all those guys. It really was such a, such a small thing that you guys did, but really made such a big difference in my life.
1: Oh, that's great to hear, Joe. Uh, You know, it means a lot to me and I know it'll mean a lot to those guys. And I would just say that, you've always um, uh, shown through and um, communicated yourself uh, as a really great person. So it was our, you know, we were lucky to have you as a friend and a, and a teammate because you're also a great lacrosse player. So um, yeah, man, I'm gl- I'm glad Thanks, you too. felt that way, but it, you know, we, um, it was, you know, our pleasure. I think we were psyched to just have somebody who could, who could play and make us better? <laughs> but uh, no, you've always no. been a great kid, and I'm really proud uh, and happy for all that you've accomplished. And uh, couldn't send more love uh, to the Yavolis, um, your girlfriend, and everyone in your life. Um, yeah, That's man. Funny. Thanks.
0: Yeah, no, it was, uh, I was. I'm happy we got a chance to do this, and uh, I can't wait to see. Can't wait to see the next movie, man. Congrats. On you should check out the first one first. I'm de- <laughs> I promise <laughs> you, I will definitely check that out. <laughs> All right, Joe. Thank you so much. This All was right. great, man. I appreciate it. Thanks for listening to today's episode of the game changer lacrosse podcast. I'm your host, Joe Uvoli. You can follow me on Twitter at Joe Uvoli. You can find more episodes of the game changer lacrosse podcast on this season at theseason.gc.com. season.gc.com. If you like the podcast, Please take a second to give it a positive review on iTunes. This helps more people find the podcast. Be sure to follow us on Twitter at Sports. And if you're a coach, a parent, or you run a travel or club team, check out Game Changer Team Manager in the App Store. It's an essential, all-in-one scheduling and communication app for lacrosse coaches and parents. Game Changer Team Manager is free. It's easy to use, and it doesn't serve ads. Learn more at gc.com forward slash team manager. Until next time, keep working and keep getting better.